But I think the real progress has been in the little things. And I think that, that, that this is lots of little things that we now do better, um, have accumulated in better care and we, we're more efficient. But with that comes increased complexity, um, more risk of, 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 of things going wrong. Uh, I think that the sociological pressures and everything else is in great danger of producing a risk-averse behaviour, which mm. in the end I think may not be that good for everybody. Oh, you know, yeah. I think you, the, the, uh, you, the trouble is you're never criticised for doing things that potentially are more harmful. You know, so you will never be criticised for admitting a patient to hospital. Yeah. You'll never be criticised for keeping them in an extra couple of days. But if you send them home early or don't admit them, that's it. But actually, <laughs> admitting them to hospital and keeping them in exposes them to a lot of risk. So I think that, that a lot of this litigious and aggression, aggressive behaviour that we've got um, may result in more risk-averse behaviour which may have indirect bad effects. So I think docs are paid to make those clinical judgments. And clinical judgments are an assessment of risk. Yeah. And, neither, and neither decision is ever risk-free. But if you try and make the one that's always risk-free, that's often yeah. to do the wrong thing. And treatment plans, are there a lot of those? Yeah. And yeah. what happens if you don't follow them? Well, <laughs> that, 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 that's where the so issues... They worry me, yeah. Well, I, I, I think that's very interesting because <coughs> we, we talk on the one hand about individualised treatment plans for individual people and mm -hmm. personalised medicine. And on the other hand, we have just a tsunami of guidelines that, that are there. And the guidelines, uh, you know, they're only guidelines. Well, they're only guidelines until you don't follow them and it goes wrong, and then you find there's something quite different. Uh, there are guidelines if you don't follow them, it all goes well, because yeah. nobody worries about that. And I think the, um, but that's that, that's in the kind of the general medical sphere where things are clear. But when you look at um, things like cancer chemotherapy and radiotherapy, you've got treatments that are effective, but at the margin, you know, the, the, the with very toxic treatments, and their guidelines—if you—if you don't follow the guidelines in those spheres, I think life can be very difficult because things can go wrong because the drugs are pretty toxic, and the guideline is there, you're not getting a lot of benefit. But I think in the kind of the complex multi-system diseases that that I kind of deal with, I think there is still a bit more freedom for judgment and how you might you might go about it. But I think we do need to kind of think about the rigid guideline, personalised medicine, how does it all work? Uh, but equally, the, um, the amount of this stuff that's around, the pressures on newly qualified docs is huge and it's much, much easier to pull a guideline off the shelf mm -hmm. than to think through the problem. And I think that's perhaps the, the biggest change yeah. is that, that I think we all, before this became the norm, had our own guidelines that we developed yeah. and thought through either from experience, 
colleagues, original reading, you've worked out how to do things. That's kind of now been taken away from the individual doc and is being done by committees. But I think losing the skill to work out how you do it is perhaps not a good thing. And that, that I think that is anxiety provoking in the I just wonder whether docs would be able to balance in in my field you may have three guidelines mm -hmm. and they're conflicting. <laughs> yes. How do you work out yeah. what's the right thing for the patient? And I think the skill to do that requires time, experience, but a willingness to take on the challenge. Uh, have you written much? Books, papers? No, no I thought oh, no. no. You've been too busy looking after people <laughs> in a very good way. Do you think nowadays you start more new treatments or stop present ones? For patients? Yeah. Oh, I've made a career out of stopping, <laughs> stopping <laughs> treatments that my colleagues have, have started. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think we spend, I spend more time uh, rationalising treatment. Because again, it's part of the, it, it's become increasingly difficult though. Um, when I first, you know, the idea of polypharmacy, we, we all understand that's a problem. But when you now look at things, you know, there are, there's, a, there's a variety of drugs. You're on that because you've got vascular disease. You're on that because you've got respiratory disease. And you, there's no obvious place to kind of say, well, you don't need that. What you have to say is, actually, the benefit of this in your current situation is likely to be marginal. And actually taking all of these tablets <laughs> is probably not. So it is, it's become increasingly difficult. Now, I mean, my, my academic career and public I've I've actually to be fair I, well it's not a huge publication I mean I did my own period before I became a consultant what I have managed to do over many years is to help and support trainees mm -hmm. get things published and abstracts published mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. posters so I've got my name on quite a large number of posters which I've supported junior docs because one of my big bugbears is that, that the average new... I think that the, the big, one of the other big problems for the profession lies around the, uh, the lack of statistical and numerical skills in the medical profession, mm -hmm. um, which for a profession that is largely built on the probability of disease X or Y, and whose treatments rely heavily on the results of statistical analysis of trials, the, the lack of numerical skill in the profession is wanting. And I actually kind of quite interested in maths and statistics, um, and spend time with the trainees, mm. just pointing out to them. Yeah, you need to think about the analysis <laughs> before you collect the data. Yes, you know, yes. just simple stuff. Um, and so I've got, I've got a background in statistics. So um, uh, doing that is quite helpful. But I am disappointed in the the lack of appreciation of that in newly qualified docs mm. when they go up. What was your thesis on respiratory? No, my my. Uh, um, my MD thesis in London was on autoimmunity and the gut hormone. Right, very good. With Bloom, was it Steve uh, Bloom? Steve Bloom was yes. part of it, yeah. Yes. Um, and Deborah Doniak. Uh, so it's so a kind of an interesting, 
interesting mixed area. Nobody could work out whether it was endocrinology, yeah. gastroenterology, or what. Uh, but that that was where I did my original MD. Yeah. Sure, that's a lovely interview. Really, thank you very much indeed. I think we ought to stop now, probably. Okay. And many, many thanks. Is that all right? Yeah, it is. Then.